This is the Fearless Agent Podcast, where you learn how to make way more money fast selling real estate with your host, the fearless agent himself, Bob Leffler. And good day to you. This is, oh my goodness, I wasn't close enough to the microphone, was I? See how I did that, Ramon? It, uh, this is what, only your 65th program? <laughs> is that all? The- you think I know? You know, you give me a coffee break, you have to retrain me. <laughs> So here at the Fearless Agent Podcast for real estate sales professionals like you, where we explain why everything you've been taught by the entire real estate industry is wrong and you will make lots more money in way less time by doing the exact opposite. So today's topic – oh, by the way, we always start with the headlines of the day. Do you remember that, uh, Ramon? Most exciting part of my week. Do you remember a newspaper they used to have? Vaguely, vaguely, yeah. yeah. So uh, it turns out that uh, experts, you know, all these experts, you know what I'm talking about. Experts predict a large West Coast earthquake and tsunami in the future so severe that parts of California could fall into the ocean. So it's not all bad news. (laughs) See? It's a great thing about California is the earthquakes cause the mudslides which put out the wildfires. It's a beautiful thing, really. All part of God's circle great plan. of life. Circle of life. Sing it for us. So, uh, what I want to talk about today, among other stupid things like the headlines of the day, is why is it so difficult for real estate agents to say "sign here"? You know, get the pen out and say "sign here" at the end of the listing presentation. Uh, but Ramon, my intrepid producer, knows that. Uh, there are things that are also difficult to say when drunk. You know these, Ramon, don't you? Like innovated or preliminary <laughs> or proliferation. I can't even say it when I'm sober. Well, Or cinnamon. There's also things that are very difficult to say when you're drunk, like specificity, anti-constitutionality, passive-aggressive disorder, <laughs> transubstantiate. <laughs> Right? You're making my sober head hurt right I now. Not but even. there's also things, get this, there's things that are impossible to say when you're drunk. Like, no thanks, I'm married. <laughs> Sorry, but you're really not my type. Nope, no more booze for me. Or no thanks, I'm not hungry. Or I'm not interested in fighting you. Or my favorite is thank you, but I won't be making any attempt to dance as I have no coordination and I hate to look like a fool. So, yeah, you know, that's I've it. also heard the uh, famous phrase to uh, hold my beer, watch this. That's right. That comes right after I must be going home now as I have to work in the morning. <laughs> Things we would never say when we were drunk. Okay, let's get down to business. So you're at the end. You know, if you're a fearless agent, there's this little uh, pattern we follow. So first, you ring the bell, you pay him a compliment, you take him directly to the kitchen table, you break the ice. And you do the expired list intro. We've all learned that. If you're a fearless agent coaching student, you've learned that. You memorize that one because that's the opener of the listing presentation. Then you do the preview of coming attractions to make them feel comfortable with what's going to be happening with you while you're in their house. Then you ask the four questions. At the end of the four questions, they know – For a fact, there's no doubt in their mind that no agent will ever care more about them than you will and no agent will ever care more about making the buyer overpay for their house than you will. No agent would ever net them more money than you will. 
Then they're sold on you 100%. They go, you know, he's the guy, she's the one, we're going to do business with her. Then you take the tour of the house. You talk them out of doing all those stupid things they were thinking about doing like fixing up, cleaning up, you know, doing changes. And then you come back to the kitchen table. You go through the objection crushing machine, the stupid idea crushing machine, the competition crushing machine that is the fearless agent listing presentation. And then you get done with that. You do the nutshell close. You say so. In a nutshell, that's my philosophy of helping you get absolute top dollar and sell your house for tens of thousands of dollars more than it's worth. Would you say that's definitely what you're looking for? Of course, they always say yes. Then you say, so if we can agree on a price and a strategy, is it fair to say we'll get the ball rolling tonight? They say yes. Then you do the fearless agent pricing presentation. You get done with that. And then you are going to follow these steps to get the signature, okay? My, my mentor Floyd Wickman used to say, no siggy, no money. So this is to make it easy. So step number one is estimate the net. Now, we're not going to do a net sheet when you're a fearless agent. You're going to uh, take your calculator and you're going to take fair market value. Now, perhaps you're going to list the house above fair market value because you're really not a fearless agent yet. But you're still going to estimate the net based on your best guess of what fair market value is, which would be the price at which they would get one showing a day after the initial spurt is over. Okay. Uh, perhaps you are you're going to list the house under fair market value to get multiple offers, which you could bid up. Uh, but you're still going to base the net estimate on fair market value. So you take fair market value, then you subtract 12%. That 12% represents you charging 7%, uh, the normal closing costs, plus the fact that they had a little prepayment penalty that they forgot to mention. Uh, the seller is asked to do a repair that they stupidly agree to and uh, there's some other things that you didn't realize were going. They owe a little more than you thought. So it covers all of that. So it's fair market value minus 12 percent minus how much they owe and then that number is not going to be a round number. So let's say that's 137,200. You would say, I want you to make your plans on me handing you a check for $135,000, okay? Then you ask a closing question. You say, any questions? So any questions is the only closing question you would ever need. Then you explain, step three is explain the documents and procedures, okay? So years ago, uh, you know, I started so long ago that uh, there were no pre-printed written contracts. There were no home inspections. There were no, um, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that were different. So they didn't have the – so one day anyway, they invented the 
uh, seller property disclosure statement. So that's that thing that the seller fills out. It may be named something different in your state, but it's what the seller fills out. It says, are you aware of this? Are you aware of this? And they're putting I am aware or not aware of the condition items about the property. And that is a gift from God because what you do is you take that out. So I would have a little listing kit and in that would be on top the seller property disclosure statement. So that's the first thing they're going to put pen to paper on and they're going to fill that out. While they're filling that out, it gives me the opportunity to fill out all the listing paperwork which I still would do on paper if it was me. Now, someday that will go away, but it, it's uh, easier to close them when you're handing them a pen. So uh, I would say this is the seller property disclosure statement and this is you claiming what you know to be true and what you know that you don't know to be true. And this keeps you from getting in trouble or court after the house is sold. So you're going to be honest about the condition of the house. You start – and that's a little homework project that I need you to do while I'm here to help you with it. So you hand them a pen. So you always have extra pens. Hand them a pen. Slide that over. And then they start putting pen to paper and mentally they're saying, I am listing my house. This is happening. Okay, So they start filling that out. And then you start filling out your things in order. So I would start with the legal language of the listing agreement if that is separate from the property profile stuff. In my state, that's the way it works, I think, still. Uh, next would come anything that would get you in trouble or uh, you know, uh, disclosure. So it would be agency would come next, lead-based paint. Uh, pool disclosures, wastewater, you know, like septic, any any other disclosures that you may happen to have to get signed. Lead-based paint has a ten thousand dollar fine attached to it, so that's a good one to get filled out if it's pre nineteen seventy eight. And then uh, then I would finish with I'd get partway through that property profile, which is where it has the room measurements and all the features and. You know, square footage and all that. So I'm partway through that when they say, okay, I think I'm done with this. And you go, oh, what do you know? Me too. So they set down the pen. Sounds like that. Then you pick up the pen and then you look at it and then you swing it around and aim it at them and you say, I need you right there. And then they're signing the first signature and mentally they think they've listed their house. Then you say, okay, this is the agreement between you and me. This is your house. This is you. I need your to, to initial here for the lockbox. This says I get paid 7% no matter what if your, has, if your house sells. This says I get paid zero no matter what if your house does not sell. This says you agree to stick with me as, for as long as it takes and I need you to sign right here. And if they're 100% sold on you, like they always will be if you're a fearless agent, they'll just sign it. So. The, I took all my listings for one year, uh, rarely ever had a problem with getting that. So you ask a closing question. At the, at, again, you hand them the pen. You direct the signature. And then I would recommend you get out of there quickly. Now's not the time for small talk. You've been there long enough to get a listing and based on how, much, how chatty they may be, that could be you know, quite a while. 
and then you go and immediately put it active in the MLS. You have no idea how many stories of grief and sorrow and sadness that I hear because somebody didn't immediately get it active in the MLS. They wanted to wait a couple of days for pictures or they wanted to wait a while for the – I don't know what they're what the heck they're thinking of. But you want showings to immediately happen. So you get the key that you're going to get extra keys made for. Um, another thing I used to do is I would get four keys made. So one goes in the lockbox. Uh, one – so they give me a key and I'm going to give them their key back. So I would, I actually would get six keys made because two of them probably are not going to work after you get keys made. So one goes in the lockbox. Then I would also hang a hidden contractor's lockbox that has a secret code that only I know on the house. One goes in my car with a tag on it that just has the street name, not the address. So if somebody steals my car, they can't break into their house. And then one goes in one in my partner's car or my assistant's car. And what that allowed me to do was every once in a while you'll have a uh, issue where um, the you know the agent is trying to get into the lockbox or they lock the agent that's showing your listing has locked their keys into the house somehow or something like that. And they call me and I say, no, no problem. There's a contractor's lockbox. If that key didn't work, I've got a key in my car. I'd run over there and save them. So whatever you can do to make the buyer agent look like the hero in front of their buyer. So little little systems like that just make everything easier for you and the, and the buyer agent. So always remember that the buyer agent is the customer and you want to make their life easy so that they can hand you money. And uh, and they will appreciate that. So always be nice to the buyer agent. So then you know again get out get out of the house uh, as quickly as you can. So I wanted to I wanted to talk about a little bit about uh, negotiating. So uh, the buyer is not the enemy of the seller, but there's things the interests sometimes are not the same. So if you're the seller, if you're selling your house, I know what you want. You want the highest price that you can get for your house. That's what you want. Well, what do you think the buyer wants? And most of you are thinking the lowest price. Well, no. What the buyer wants is the best house of all the houses that are available to them with the amount of money they got. And when your house is that house and they love your house, they will overpay to get it. So the the buyer, you know, I, I think I said this last week, if you, if you line up 100 buyers and you say, what's more important to you, getting a good deal or getting the right house, almost all of them would say getting a good deal. But then you say, if you got a good deal, how would you know it? Almost every buyer would say, well, I guess I got the right house and I didn't overpay. Well, hypothetically speaking, that's what they say. But once they're in love and they don't want to lose it to another buyer, they will overpay happily like I did on my house, by the way. So just negotiating uh, 
all these little things is important, and I want to I want to just kind of spend a little time talking about the way fearless agents negotiate. And by the way, if any of the stuff that we talk about on these podcasts makes sense to you, and you happen to be earning less selling real estate than you wish you were, if you are open to the idea of having some help with that, if you would like to learn more, you can always call me. Call me anytime at 480-385-8810. That is my cell phone, and we'll just see if you and what you're trying to do in your real estate career and what we do at Fearless Agent, if it would be a good fit. If it is a good fit, you will get rich. If it's not a good fit, we'll just admit that to each other, and I'm still happy to help you in any way I can. So just pick up the phone, call me anytime, 480-385-8810. In fact, pick up the phone and call me right now because I love talking to realtors. I don't want you to think you're bothering me. Do not email me and do not text me. Always call me at 480-385-8810. And there is no emailing or texting in sales. Those are very bad habits. So I practice what I preach. So if you can't afford coaching, but you wish you could, go to fearlessagent.com, watch our free webinar, take lots of notes, go to fearlessagentpodcast.com, subscribe to this podcast, go to fearlessagent.tv, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and uh, all that free stuff would be way, way better coaching than you would pay any other coach any amount of money for, I guarantee you that. And if you ever have a question, of course, you can always call me. So, when we talk about negotiating, uh, there's a couple of little uh, tactics, I guess I would say. So uh, draw a horizontal line on a piece of paper, if you would, and then draw vertical price breaks lines, okay? So we do this as part of the fearless agent pricing presentation, but let's just uh, use a low price to get our to make it easy. So. Uh, let's use 185. So in the middle of the of that horizontal line, write 185. To the left of that, write 180. To the left of that, write 175. To the right of the 185, write 190. And then above that, 195. So we've got left to right, 175, 180, 185, 190, 195. Price breaks. So when you have a listing – active in the MLS and it's at 184.9. It's at 185, okay? And you get an offer, okay? So let's say you get an offer for 175. So put a little arrow by 175. Imagine you have a listing. The asking price is 185. You get an offer for 175. Now, in each one of those little slots, there are a number of buyers swimming around out there that would be willing to look at, make an offer to you. So above 195, let's say there's zero. Between 190 and 195, let's say there's five. Between 185 and 190, there's 35. Between 180 and 185, there's 135. And finally, you get down to uh, you know $1 and everybody is there. So you don't get a few more buyers hearing about you. Ramon, are you seeing things? What's going on in there? Oh, I was just looking for the AC to kick on. It, it hasn't kicked like, on yet. It looks like it was going to dive bomb by a 
pigeon or something. Well, you know, we're recording He's here in a padded cell. I just want you to know It that. gets hot in here sometimes. I'm just, I'm just <laughs> looking at the vents thinking if <laughs> I look at it, stare at them long enough, they may actually go he on. It worries me a little bit. Yeah, that's okay. Right. So in each one of these slots, so when you when the price is lowered by $5,000 in that price range or $25,000 if you were at you know, 425, 450, 475, or fifty thousand dollars when you're above five hundred, or a hundred thousand dollars price breaks when you're above a million. You know, you you don't get twice as many in the next slot down. You get eight times as many. It's a big big deal. So, again, you're priced at one eighty four nine, one eighty five, and you get an offer for one seventy five. It's the only offer you got. And you present that offer to your seller. Now, the typical seller, would they immediately accept it? Would they immediately reject it? Or would they at least think about it? Yeah, they'd probably think about it. But it would be insane to even consider accepting that offer if they had not tried to ask 174.9 first. So this is what I used to do. I would I would be priced at 185. I'd get an offer sent to me at 175. I would call the seller and I'd say I have a offer that I you know, or I'd I'd meet with the seller not call the seller. I'd meet with the seller and I'd say this offer is 175 and I don't want you to accept it until we have changed the asking price to 174.9. So I immediately change the asking price to 174.9 and get competing offers against that offer. Now, does that make the buyer agent mad? Yeah, maybe, but I don't care because I don't represent the buyer or the buyer agent. That's not my issue. Uh, what if they're an agent in my own office? Uh, similarly, I don't care because I don't represent the buyer and I don't represent the buyer agent. My office represents the buyer, but my allegiance is to, is to that seller. So if I – and that's not going to keep that buyer who is offered less than I was asking anyway from competing. So they, they still get to win if they can, if they have enough down payment to. So – Rule number one in in negotiating is don't skip one of the railroad tracks. So if the offer comes in at 180, then make sure you've either asked 180 or 179.9 or 174.9 before you entertain taking that offer is the moral of the story. So the other thing is when you negotiate in a real estate contract, there's lots of things uh, that we are negotiating, okay? There's uh, the sales price. There's the closing date. There's moving day, which not may not be the same date as the closing date. There's the type of loan it is, you know, FHA, VA, conventional, or it could be cash. There's the earnest uh, deposit amount. There's uh, the refundability or non-refundability of the earnest money. There's the amount of the down payment. There's uh, whose lender are we going to use. There's is it going to be repairs requested or is it going to be sold as is. There is an appraisal contingency or not. There's a loan contingency or not. 
So there's all those parts. And then there's weird stuff like is the lawnmower included or some you know crazy stuff, the entertainment system, something like that. So here's a little rule of thumb, okay? So please write these down in the priority that you would negotiate them, okay? So number one is the percentage of down payment ability. So let's say I could pay cash. I actually have the cash enough to buy the $400,000 house in my bank account. I could pay $400,000 cash, but I don't want to. And by the way, I wouldn't want to. So I want to put 20% down. Now, the percentage of down payment is 20%, but the percentage of down payment ability is 100%. So I am not going to – let's say I have multiple offers. I'm not going to bid them up if all they got is 20% to put down. I'm, I'm, I'm going to present that offer and probably say no thank you if I have better offers. But if they have the ability to put 40% or more down, that's a different thing. So number one priority is their ability – by the way, do they have to tell you their ability to pay all that money down? And the answer is yes. It's a material fact. It's like how old is the roof? If I know that as the seller, I have to tell you I know for a fact that the roof is X many years old. I can't say, well, why do you want to know? Uh, I have to tell you that because it's a material fact. The ability of the buyer to pay is a material fact in a real estate contract. So they have to tell you. They might not know that, but they do have to. You can always say no to the offer because they wouldn't tell you. And then they'll find out. So the second thing is the sales price. Now, there's no reason to be talking about the sales price or negotiating that if we can't even agree that you have enough money to put down to make it even worth my while looking at your offer. So sometimes a buyer agent will say, well, what does it matter how much I'm putting down? I'd say, well, let's say you have two offers and they're identical. One is cash at 400000 and the other is 5% down, conventional loan, at $400,000. Which would you take? They go, well, I take the cash. They go, okay, well, now you understand that. So first thing, percentage of down payment ability and how much they are actually putting down. The second thing we negotiate is the sales price. So the sales price is uh, – important, obviously, to the seller. And the next thing would be the amount of non-refundable earnest money. So in an FHA or VA loan, there is no earnest money. Now, it says there is, but that is a fairy tale. It says they're putting earnest money down, but the reality is they will always get it back and there are no exceptions to that no matter what. So for that reason, if you're me, I'm not going to sell my house to you if you're an FHA or VA buyer because I'm discriminating against broke people. If you're a veteran, I'm happy to sell my house to you if you're paying cash, okay? If you're broke, not so much. So 
the amount of the non-refundable earnest money. So non-refundable means after the inspection period is over, it is no way, Jose, will you be getting your earnest money back. It will not happen unless the seller defaults on the contract. So we agree after we've agreed to the sales price. So we don't need to worry about negotiating earnest money if we can't even agree on the sales price. We don't need to worry about the sales price negotiation if we if you don't even have enough money to put down, right, to get the deal done. So after that, by the way, contingency. Okay, write this down. Contingency, the word contingency means I get my earnest money back if. Contingent upon the appraisal means if the appraisal comes in low, I can back out and I get my earnest money back if that happens. So contingency means I get my earnest money back if. That doesn't happen in my world. You're not getting your earnest money back after the after the home inspection is over and you know what you're buying. You're buying it as is. No repairs is the next thing. So as is means it will be in substantially the same condition at close of escrow as it was at the later of either the contract date or the inspection period, whichever is later. And everything that was working will still be working and everything that was broken, I promise you, will still be broken. Okay, But you're buying it as is. No repairs will ever be allowed by me. Uh, it's not going to happen. So now, why is that? Well, because there's a guy that lived on my street who was a cop. And uh, I uh, drive to pull in my street and there are about four ambulances, 12 fire trucks and about 16 police cars. And I think, oh, a terrorist attack has happened on my street. So uh, I pull up. There's the lady cop there. I said, hey, what's going on? I live down there. And she goes, oh, it's no problem. Roger, the cop guy who lives down the street, was having some uh, repairs done to his house and the repairman caught his house on fire. So all his friends who happened to drive cars and trucks with flashing lights showed up to empty his house out so all his stuff doesn't smell like smoke. Uh, so sometimes it's good to be a cop in the words of John Candy, I think, right? So – under no circumstances am I going to buy, allow my seller to make a repair for your buyer and burn the house down, which would help nobody. So your buyer, after you buy my listing, can hire their own repairman and burn their own house down that they just bought and that's their business. And then that's after you've been paid as the buyer agent. I'll, I will notify you also. So as is is happening, then um, – it would be other things. Uh, so we've removed all contingencies. The other one could be maybe I want you to use my lender because I have worries about your lender that you're buyer. But, but again, I've got non-refundable earnest money. So here's a little rule of thumb. There are no problems in real estate that large amounts of non-refundable earnest money will not fix. For example, if they want to buy, they have to sell their house in order to buy my listing. It won't be contingent upon it because I've got non-refundable earnest money. Remember, every buyer could die. So every sale is contingent. 
upon the buyer not dying, except for the fact that it's really not because I'm still going to get to keep the earnest money. So if they die, if they don't qualify for the loan, if they can't sell their house, if they, if they don't get the loan, if they don't get the appraisal doesn't come in right, none of that matters to me because I have 1% rounded up to the nearest thousand of – so it would be 5,000 in case of a $400,000 house of non-refundable earnest money per 30 days that you're taking me off the market. And that tends to fix all problems. It's not enough – to scare the buyer away, the serious buyer. It is enough to scare the flakes away and it does compensate the seller for taking their house off the market for one month. So if it's a 60-day close, it would be $10,000. 30-day close is five on a $400,000 house. So um, so that's, that's kind of how negotiating works from those standpoints. So just do negotiate things and then there would be you know the weird stuff is the lawnmower and oh the close of escrow day i forgot that coe close of escrow day closing day that's a point of negotiation and then the weird stuff is the uh entertainment center included now we don't need to negotiate the entertainment system if we can't agree to the close of escrow day by the way we don't need to negotiate the close of escrow day if we can't agree that you're buying the house as is, how is, where is. We don't need to negotiate as is if we can't agree to the amount of the non-refundable earnest money. We don't need to negotiate the amount of the non-refundable earnest money if we can't even agree to the sales price and we don't need to talk about the sales price until I know you got enough money to put down to qualify to buy my house, not with the lender, but with me, the seller, the listing agent. So if you just negotiate things in the right order, you're going to have a much happier life. And then next episode, we'll be talking more about negotiating. But once again, I want to thank all of you for joining us here today at the Fearless Agent Podcast. Please do visit us at fearlessagent.com. You can always call me directly at 480-385-8810. Please do give us a five-star review of this podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you see it. And until next week, do what we always do as fearless agents. Have fun, be humble, but most of all, be fearless. Thanks, gang. Oh.